So, um, how do we start again? Me and Helen couldn't even find one Timothy, so, you know, we're doing really well today. (laughs) Take four, take four. (laughs) Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries, and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Scattered. Today, we're looking at, I think, our shortest passage ever. Uh, We're looking at 1 Timothy verses 19 to 21. No, I think it's verses 18 to 20, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Obviously, obviously written them all wrong. (laughs) <laughs> You're right. Eighteen Don't worry, to twenty. Me and, me and Helen couldn't even find one Timothy, so you know we're doing really well today. <laughs> okay, let me start again. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Scattered. Today we're looking at our shortest ever look at different verses. <laughs> take four. Take four. <laughs> <laughs> Take four. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Scattered. Today, we're looking at the next segment of um, this passage in First Timothy, and we're looking at chapter one, verses eighteen to twenty. Just three verses. Um. Yeah, and so far in this letter, it's a letter written from Paul to Timothy. And Paul has visited Ephesus, but has left Timothy there to go on to another place. Um, And he's encouraging Timothy to remain there and confront the leaders about some false teaching that has arisen there. And so we were encouraged last week with Paul's own testimony and uh, a testimony to God's mercy towards all of us. So this week, uh, Paul again goes back to this charge to Timothy. What can we learn from verse 18? In verse 18 is, um, so Paul says, this charge I commit to you. So it's kind of, in line with what he's already said to Timothy. So he's encouraging, he's already encouraging Timothy, hasn't he, to stay in Ephesus because it, it is pretty tough at the moment. And we know that Timothy struggles um, potentially because of his age and um, that he's quite timid. So Paul is charging Timothy and he's saying, um, <clears throat> according to the prophecies previously made, uh, that you may wage this good warfare. So he's kind of saying you know, stay, like fight, don't leave, um, wage uh, warfare in the situation that you're in. Yeah, and I guess in verse three, we have that same word, charge, don't we? And Mm. it's specifically linked to trying to correct false teaching in the church. So it's like he's returning to something he said earlier in the chapter and just really encouraging him to um, do the hard thing, which is deal with the false teaching in the church. And it's interesting, isn't it, this bit he talks about in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you. So we don't don't really know, do we, exactly what the prophecy was. It seems to be something that, um, in which God, through the Holy Spirit, had spoken clearly to others to set um, 
Timothy aside for ministry. Um, and, and Paul is basically saying this prophecy was made about you at the beginning of your ministry time, like when you were commissioned effectively, and now the time has arrived. And effectively, I, I reading it, it was because uh, he calls him Timothy, my child. It's almost like he's saying, Timothy, my child, it is time to grow up. <laughs> your time has arrived and it's time to wage good war- warfare. I was looking into that, like, what did it, what was it referring to, the prophecy? And something I read, which I thought was helpful, was it was it was almost like when Timothy was commissioned for ministry, a little bit like an ordination service where people gathered around him and God, um, through them, that hands were laid on him and it was spoken over his life that he was to be a minister for the gospel. And that, that's referenced in chapter 4, verse 14, and chapter 6, verse 12, And I think part of what Paul's saying is it's not just me that thinks this. It's not just me that thinks that you're the man that God's gifted for this job. But let's remember back to when a group of us prayed over you. God spoke to you. Um, Yeah, so he's almost reminding him, isn't he? A little bit like all through the Old Testament, often we're told to look back and remember what God's done. And that's almost the way he's encouraging Timothy is saying, remember when we all prayed for you remember what god said remember um that he's gonna be with you in this hard circumstance and it says as well doesn't it because it says at the end of um verse 18 it says that by them as in by the prophecies you may wage the good warfare as if like this this gives you your authority this isn't just me this is the prophecies that were given by the holy spirit at the time of your commissioning gives you the authority to wage this warfare. It's interesting, isn't it? The um, prophecy uh, seems to be a normal part of the early church. You know, um, when someone is being ordained, it was normal and, and probably, I mean, it's mentioned a lot, isn't it, in the New Testament? And I was just challenged as to, yeah, how much a part of our lives it is I mean I think our tendency in conservative circles is to underplay the importance of prophecy and be like oh it's dangerous because you might mishear or you might this or that and therefore maybe we're not listening as hard as we could be and we're not paying attention to it in a way that we could be I don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah I took a route to see what Paul said in other letters towards what prophecy um could be and in 1 corinthians 14 he says it is he who speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men and i think that's quite a sometimes we don't think those things are prophecy but often paul talks about those things that provide encouragement and um like i guess like personal aspects of which you can have growth edification in that way is also prophecy so speaking the word in truth to that person's situation well i guess we've got to be deliberate haven't we and create time and space to do that and to allow god to speak over people's lives who he's created them to be and what it is that he's got for them and i just think life's often busy isn't it and we don't create the space or the time to do that and to let god speak but it's so interesting here isn't it that that's such a um a comfort and an encouragement to timothy in that when 
when the rubber hits the road and it's really hard and this is difficult things that he's got to do going back to those times strengthens you doesn't it and um remembering so it's it's worth doing isn't it and it's worth taking the time um mm. with people to um allow god to speak mm. in those ways and i think it's uh such a key word that word warfare like it's not something easy that he's walking into it's going to be really hard and he's probably most likely going to be faced with a lot of opposition and so it's really yeah it's just that when you're reading it i feel like you get that sense which where paul is trying to encourage him to do something but he's encouraging him to do something that's really hard and yeah requires requires what he's going to encourage him with in verse 19. so what what does what tools um almost does paul encourage timothy to have yeah i guess the two weapons that he wants him to use to wage this good warfare are faith and a good conscience what is faith (laughs) oh what a question i uh a definition of faith which i came across several years ago which helped me was um believing that uh jesus i guess god is who he said he is is who he says he is did what he said he would do and will do what he says he will do um and i find that helpful it's like putting i guess our faith is in a in a person it's believing that that person is all those things for us i i guess that it's the same as we try to encourage each other to do today right when things are hard we try to to remind each other that god is good god is faithful you know you try and well on the whole you try to encourage each other to remember god's character his promises um his faithfulness uh yeah so paul is kind of saying holding faith like hold firm remember who it is that you're in this warfare with and for and it it reminds me it picks up on a theme doesn't it from the first study that we did about it's important that we are believing the right things about god and so I, i guess that's at its core what faith is isn't it what what are we putting our confidence in um I, I just remembered that whole little thing of you know it doesn't matter how much faith you have it's what you're putting your confidence in that matters and so you can have a little bit of faith but as long as you're sat on the right chair then it's going to hold your weight and so knowing who god is and calling to mind those things is the important thing about faith isn't it it's not the quantity or the quality of our faith but it's where we're putting it and i guess in light of what he's just been talking about with the false teachers he's saying you know don't allow yourself to be persuaded away from the truth remember what is true and do not be persuaded away from it as you wage this warfare because that's the danger Mm. isn't it when you enter into these scenarios that you begin to think oh, actually, they they have a point. Actually, maybe I could, you know, make an allowance here or there or, you know, and before you know it, the first compromise is the first of many. And I guess in some Mm -hmm. ways, he's warning Timothy against that. And I guess that links to the good conscience, doesn't it? Because um, 
the faith bit is what you believe and then the good conscience is how you live and allowing your faith to impact the choices you make and the way that you live and like we saw at the beginning of the chapter those two things are so closely linked aren't they that yeah what how you think about god does change the way that you live and a change in that can change your conscience and um justify bad behavior it's so important isn't it for timothy to to link his faith with his works isn't it because people will be looking at how he lives as a pastor i think especially people in pastoral positions um and i think if your if your life isn't reflecting what you're teaching and what you're saying then it just undermines the whole message doesn't it, it undermines the gospel that's why it's so sad, isn't it, when you hear of these yeah, pastors who have been caught in this, that and the other. And it really is a struggle for their church members, I think, to come back from that because it's like, well, does that undermine everything you've taught me? What do you think Paul means in the next bit in verse 19? Because some have rejected these things, um, faith and a good conscience, and because of that are, have suffered shipwreck what do you think he means when he says that i have a quick question has paul been in, in any shipwrecks by this point yes he has okay Thank I, you. Do, I don't know how many because i think this is written i think this is written <laughs> from what i've read um this was written after Acts, around Acts 26. Okay. So at that point, I don't know how many shipwrecks he's had, but he's had at least one. <laughs> I can't remember oh, what he He's such a legend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many like... shipwrecks has he had? <laughs> the, reason, the reason why I'm asking the question is, <laughs> I think when I hear the word shipwreck, I think permanent devastation. Whereas for Paul, when he's thinking the word shipwreck, does he think, because he's already survived one, does he is he thinking in terms of permanence? Or is he like, actually, there is an opportunity for redemption here? Like, he's made a shipwreck of their faith, but I know from my experience that it is possible to survive and move on. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I guess that is in the passage, isn't it? That actually the purpose of this harsh treatment of these guys is that they might be changed. They might mm. learn not to blaspheme. So I think Paul's encouraging quite drastic treatment of these guys, but the purpose is redemption, isn't it? And the purpose is to bring them back. So yeah, just mm. like everybody left the shipwreck at the end of Acts, didn't they? Safe and everybody got to land safely. I guess ultimately he wants to get them to heaven, doesn't he? And so, yeah, that's helpful, Helen. I think there is a there is redemption involved in shipwreck sometimes, isn't there? Yeah, and he's showing them that actually the things, the key things for their salvation is faith and a good conscience. Because if they have no faith in God, they're putting their faith elsewhere, in themselves or in other things, and so he's showing them that they need to by i guess experiencing the shipwreck they're 
being reminded that actually they need to look elsewhere for where their hope is. So in the next verse, um, there are two people that are named uh, Himenius and Alexander. And he, he mentions those two having suffered shipwreck that he's delivered to Satan, that they may not may learn not to blaspheme. What do you think this verse can tell us? I find that it's quite tricky, this verse, but the most helpful thing I read about it was he was describing, was the commentator I read, that <clears throat> handing somebody over to Satan in this context is like placing them outside of the protection of the church. And I find that really helpful, actually, thinking that the church is a place of protection for people and we need to be in a fellowship of other believers if we're going to steer our ship safely to shore as opposed to be shipwrecked and so actually by handing them over to satan they're just being placed outside of the care and protection of the church to have to try and hope that helps them to see um how vulnerable they are and how much they need to be back within that fellowship of other people who are holding on to faith in a good conscience um, and i guess as well to protect the rest of the flock um, from them because there's a sense in which it's actually at some point it's, it's kind of dangerous to have I guess Paul could see it's dangerous to have that kind of teaching making its way through the flock um, and it must be very painful but I guess to kind of remove that maybe would yeah protect the rest of the people. I think yeah this verse was tricky wasn't it I think any any verse where the word Satan is in it tends to put us put us a little bit on alert, doesn't it? But I think a few things we need to remember that Satan is also an agent of God, as in like God is also in control of Satan, just like in Job when, you know, God allowed Satan to act. Um, it would be this a similar thing here. And we need to remember as well that the punishment was the removal of protection, not an infliction of evil. So it's not like Paul is saying they're chucked out so that evil can be afflicted on them. But actually, it's just, no, you've stepped outside the boundaries of the, the family here. You're, you're not coming back into line. You need to have that protection removed so that they can learn not to blaspheme. So it's not so that you can be punished in the way that we would necessarily think, but it's it's more like a restorative instruction like you can learn that actually this is a, a massive issue and that things need to be dealt with. And um, I read something as well that said that this is a can be a picture of church discipline if, you know, if things don't work out uh, within within the family, within the church family, but that it should be motivated by love with of the hope of turning the disciplined ones back to the Lord, not punishment for punishment's sake. I think the encouraging thing for me in it was just what a a big vision God has for his church in that it is the place of protection and safety for his people. And yeah, I guess it just wised me up that church is so important, isn't it? We we can't go alone. We can't do it alone and we can't fly solo and we need church to help us stay safe and keep the faith and keep walking in good conscience. Those things are really hard to do. By ourselves and I think it's helpful to recognize that actually um, there are 
just two domains. There's a domain and protection of God, and then Satan is very much the opposer. It's not like there's multiple, multiple kingdoms, but there's two kingdoms. And I think it's hard to be reminded of that because our heart yearns for those who are lost. And um, yeah, so yeah, we're longing for more people to come into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God. And therefore putting people outside of like removing people into the vulnerability of Satan's kingdom is painful. You know, it's not like a you deserve this type thing. It's a painful action. It hurts everyone, <laughs> really. Um, but I think this is teaching us, isn't it, that there are times and circumstances where it is necessary with the aim of restoration. And aim for protection of God's people. Mm. I guess if you look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, lots of people think that um, the Hymenaeus guy there is the same as the guy mentioned here. Um, and it says in verse 18, they've strayed containing, uh, concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. Um, so I guess there was this false teaching going on about, yeah, the resurrection having happened. I think by that it means like the end times resurrection or something but anyway something very confusing for the church was being taught by at least one of these guys so i guess the point is that they they might not have been explicitly speaking evil against god but they were misrepresenting him and that was the blas blaspheming part and i think as well they were in some sort of teaching position weren't they so mm. they were in some um level of leadership which makes it more serious doesn't it because they're teaching mm. us, and so the church really is at risk. Mm. Yeah, and when they're teaching something false about God, then you question what God they're putting their trust in, not the God of the Bible. And I think that's the part where Paul says, you know, they have let go of their faith and uh, let go of the good conscience to to do these things or speak these things and that's the key thing at stake is are they actually worshipping a god that's not actually the god of the bible mm. okay so um i've left this <laughs> question to, to right at the end but what themes so far have we seen in this chapter one timothy first timothy I guess the theme of like faith, what like what you believe in uh, affecting your conduct is the theme that I would mention. Uh, I would mention the theme of love, um, but that sometimes the th love requires hard things. I think, yeah, the, those and also um, the mercy of God has been like a mm. re recurring theme in this first chapter. Yeah, and I guess as well, um, the theme of, of warfare, this charge, um, which in the original language has quite a warlike um, sense, because as we go into chapter two, we're going to see that, you know, there is one God, there is one mediator 
And the word, even the word mediator suggests, you know, there's two sides, there's this two kingdoms, this war going on. So that theme would probably continue into chapter two as well. I was kind of <clears throat> struck in this passage that, again, Paul is saying, you know, this is my charge to you. And he's quite um, directive in it, isn't he, to, for Timothy to stay in the hard place. And I was challenged by that. I think, I don't know about you guys, but in my experience, I tend, you know, if someone's in a difficult place doing a difficult thing, I tend to be like, oh, well, does it have to be so difficult? Or like, couldn't, you know, couldn't you just kind of change this or, you know, do this? And I think some, like, I guess it's challenging, isn't it? That sometimes the charge is to stay and, um, you know, can we encourage each other in our hard places to stay and keep going and keep fighting uh, for faith and for good conduct I was kind of challenged by that in this passage yeah I that was a really good reminder to me as well and um, it brought to mind something that someone said to me when I was working in Uganda and there was a very hard situation going on with church leadership and I just wanted to um, I just wanted to walk away and not be involved in the situation and somebody said um God calls people to be the light in the dark place. Like somebody has to be the light in the dark place. And um, if not you, then who? And I'm not saying that therefore everybody needs to stay in every bad situation, but you know, like just like in Esther, who knows if you were called for a time such as this, you know, it's, yeah, somebody has to be the light in the dark place. And the question we should be asking is, actually should it be me and should I be staying not as a should I be should I be staying rather than mm, maybe I'll leave it's okay should I be staying should be this be the situation that I stick it out and I am the light in the dark place yeah I was challenged uh Juliet when you stayed where you were in uh, COVID um when I think you could have had the opportunity to leave and and it actually was really hard saying um, but then it did mean that you were able to be there and to still kind of love people in the place that you were in. Uh, whereas, you know, the sensible advice at that time was, you know, to return to safer countries or whatever. Whereas like, yeah, sometimes the wiser and more loving thing is to stay and keep going. Yeah. And, and in our line of work as well, I'm thinking about the country that I'm in. A lot of people, ha well, I would say probably a good 90% of workers left in the last couple of months and some have decided to stay. And what that is saying to people around them is really significant. Like, mm -hmm. I love you. I care. This is important to me. You are important to me. It's speaking volumes in a way that probably a lot of the work that they've been doing before hasn't spoken um, so clearly on. Yeah, it's challenging, isn't it? Because, um, you know, sometimes it's right to go. Like if, you know, if your kids are struggling or, you know, there's there's a load of really good reasons to leave somewhere. But then also if we feel like God is asking us to stay somewhere hard, we can encourage each other to do that even when it, yeah, doesn't seem wise in kind of the eyes of the world. It's so helpful when we have the tools that Paul shows that are so important like he shows, he says that we need faith and a good conscience. And like faith is what 
like Joel said, that we don't, it's not about how much we have, it's who we're putting our trust in. And I think when we have just a little kernel of faith, putting our trust in the right place, it actually helps us withstand um, the battle and protects us in the, in the warfare. And it is shield of faith, isn't it? Shield of faith, belt of truth. <laughs> I think those are really helpful um, images that Paul gives for us to use when we are faced with hard times that actually the things that he gives us are quite simple but yeah can keep us standing firm thank you everyone for joining us this week in scattered uh, we look forward to more in first timothy bye bye, bye. bye.